listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Here we go, Luke chapter 9, turn with me to Luke chapter 9 in our Father's Word. You could be a marksman, you could be an archer, and you could hit the bullseye nine times out of ten and have quite a reputation for yourself. Not very bad at all. Nine times out of ten. You could be an archer, you could be a rifleman, and you could hit the bullseye 98 times out of 100, and you would be pretty doggone good. You'd have a great reputation for yourself. What I'm going to teach you today is how to hit the bullseye ten times out of ten. How to hit the bullseye every single time. And where are we going to go in the Word of God? But to Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 43. Luke 9, verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. That's where we left off last last time. That's where we left off last time. All were astonished at the majesty of God. The disciples were trying to cast out a demon from a young boy. They were unsuccessful in casting out that demon. So the man's, the boy's father called Jesus and says, hey, listen, your disciples weren't able to do this, so I'm going to the big kahuna. I'm coming to you. I know from your reputation, I know from your track record that you can do it. And Jesus casts out the demon from the young boy, and everybody is astonished at the majesty of God. They are beside themselves over what Jesus is able to accomplish, that he's able to heal the sick, that he's able to cast out demons, raise people from the dead. Jesus has a reputation for setting people free. And all are astonished, all are amazed, all are taken aback in a great way at the wonder, the glory, the majesty of God. After this, what happens? But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. And Jesus would say the same thing to you and to me today. Let these words sink into your ears. In fact, let them get into your heart. Let them get into your mind. Let the words of Jesus get so much into you. Let them permeate your life so much that your life is absolutely transformed. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. There seems to be an indication based on Mark chapter 9, Matthew chapter 17, when this passage is recorded by those gospel writers, what did the disciples do? They came and they asked Jesus why they couldn't cast out the demon from this boy. And Jesus gave them the answer. But here, they're afraid. They hadn't learned yet that they could come to Jesus and ask him to make sense of their world, that they could come to Jesus and ask him to make sense of their life. They didn't do that. They were afraid, and therefore they missed out on what they otherwise would have understood about the life, the ministry of Jesus, and their being related to him as his followers. Do not let yourself be afraid of asking Jesus to make sense of what's happening in your life. Do not be afraid to come to him and to ask him to help you get clarity. Jesus will give you the clarity that you need. Do you know anybody who needs clarity in these dark days we're living in? 
Jesus is ready, willing, and able, capable, ready to give you answers for your life. You just need to ask him. There's a fear of God that's good, a respect for God that's good, but you don't want to be afraid of coming to Jesus. That's not good. You want to be bold. You want to be able to approach Jesus and ask questions. They didn't do that. And so these heavy words of Jesus that the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, they miss out on the insight that they otherwise would have had because they didn't ask. Verse 46, an argument also arose among them. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he, was, he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Let's talk about how to hit the bullseye every single time. Second part of verse 43, while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus says to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. You must never forget, you must always remember that the death of Jesus Christ is central to life. The death of Jesus Christ is central to life. Don't forget it. Jesus, the bullseye in Jesus' life was his death. That's what Jesus was aiming for. He was shooting for the bullseye in his life, which was his death. Everything in the life of Jesus, everything, Every word, every teaching, every miracle was done to point people to the culminating capstone of his entire life and ministry, his death. That seems anticlimactic to us. How does death become a climax? Might be something that confuses you if you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. If the death of Jesus Christ is not central to your life, you are not hitting the bullseye. Anything and everything else you do in life will be off target. You'll be missing. It doesn't matter how close you are. It's a matter of whether or not you're hitting the bullseye. Jesus had laser precision focus. He knew the purpose of his life, and the purpose of Jesus' life was to die, to give his life for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sin was enough to send Jesus to the cross. My sin, enough to send Jesus to the cross. The bullseye that Jesus was shooting for was the giving up of his life to glorify his Father in heaven so that you too could be a recipient of eternal life. The bullseye for Jesus was his death. The bullseye for you and for me, likewise, is the death of Jesus. Never forget, you must always remember the bullseye in life is the death of Jesus Christ. Turn with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. 
Verses 3 and 4 especially are a fantastic two-verse combination, a one-two punch that you could commit to memory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, cha- 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Great section of Scripture that you could commit to memory. The gospel in a nutshell. This is the gospel in a nutshell. You want to know how to lead somebody to Christ at work, in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood? This is a great section of Scripture to remember so that you too can evangelize people and help people hit the bullseye about what life is really all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Look at what the Apostle Paul is bringing to our attention. Now I remind you, brothers, the Corinthians had a case of spiritual amnesia. In the course of your life, you are going to have a bump on the head, a knock on the head. Something's going to happen to you, something traumatic that's going to get you astray. It's going to cause you to forget the centrality of the good news. There would be no good news. The word gospel means good news. There would be no good news if there wasn't bad news. And the bad news is that Jesus, the sinless, spotless Son of God, gave His life for the forgiveness of your sins. It cost Him everything so that you could have everything. Never forget it. The gospel by which you are being saved. Now, we would look at that particular passage of Scripture. We would say, that seems interesting. Is my salvation something that's in a state of flux? Today, I don't feel so saved, so maybe I'm not. Yesterday, I kind of blew it, so maybe God took away my salvation. And tomorrow, who knows what's going to come? Maybe you could look at a passage of Scripture like this in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 15 and read that and not understand because our individualistic mindset often rules and reigns. We think the you is singular. The you is plural. What you had was a church in Corinth. The Corinthians, you had a church in Corinth, a group of people. The gospel was being preached. Paul's letter would be read. People would hear the gospel, just like what's happening here at Grace Fellowship. People are hearing the gospel, and they give their life to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. This is a plural that's being given. Paul is talking to the Corinthians in a plural, saying this is the gospel by which you are being saved. People are being saved in your midst. And he says, if you hold fast to what I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Not that you believed and then you didn't believe. He's talking about the quality, the definition of true belief. True belief is sustaining belief, belief that produces fruit. All of us are going to have moments of temporary insanity. The apostle Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. But his salvation was not something that was in a state of flux, back and forth and back and forth. Your salvation is kept by God for you. 
It's something that God gives you, that you receive, and that God keeps for you. What a great banker God would make. What a great banker God is. He's able to keep an inheritance for you that will never fade, perish, or spoil. If you don't believe me, you take some time later on today, and you read 1 Peter chapter 1. And you'll read all about the inheritance that God has given to those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. What Paul is reminding us of here, what Jesus is reminding us of there in Luke chapter 9, is that central to the ministry of Jesus Christ is the death of Jesus Christ. There are some people who think that Jesus is a good man, and that's as far as they go. There are some people who think that Jesus was a worker of miracles, and that he made mighty fine tasting wine when he, per- when he turned the water into wine. And that's as far as they go. Jesus was a good moral teacher. Jesus was merely a prophet. No, if that's as far as you're willing to go with Jesus, you haven't gone far enough. And you don't know the good news, which is the great news, which has as essential to it the bad news, which is the death of Jesus Christ. It cost Jesus everything so that you could have everything. The bullseye for Jesus was his death. The bullseye for you must be the death of Jesus Christ, and until and unless you embrace Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, until and unless you embrace that gospel, you don't know what the good news is. Paul makes it abundantly clear, in accordance with the Scriptures, in accordance with the Scriptures, Jesus died. Jesus was buried in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. Why is it so important that Jesus would die? Because without the shedding of blood, without the provision of a sacrifice by God the Father made through the Son, Jesus, you would continue in an eternity separate from God. That's called the second death. God doesn't want you to go to the second death in a permanent, eternal separation from Him in the Garden of Eden. God said, you can eat any and all of the fruit you want. Enjoy this garden that I've made for you. All I command you is one thing. Don't eat from this particular fruit, this particular tree. Don't even touch it. The day you do, you'll die. And so why does Adam live 900 plus years after that? It doesn't seem like he died. In fact, he lived a lot longer than any of you and I will live, even under the current Affordable Health Care Act. (laughs) Topic of discussion for another day. No, that day they did die, Adam and Eve. They were kicked out of the presence of God. The Bible presents death as separation from God. The second death spoken of in the book of Revelation, the lake of fire in eternity, separate from God. It's not the annihilation of the soul and the spirit of man. It's not the doing away with your soul and who you are as a spirit being spiritual first with a body. It's not the doing away with that. It's the eternal separation from God. That's why the Bible calls it the second death. 
You must always remember the bullseye for Jesus was his death. Without the death of Jesus, you would have no life. And until you personally accept the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you're going to continue in a separation from God in this present life. And once you take your last breath, once your brain wave waves its last wave, you will go into an eternity separate from God. You must always remember what the bullseye is, the bullseye that Jesus was fixated on, that he hit, that everything in his life was focused on. It's not far enough to say that Jesus was a miracle worker. It's not far enough to say that Jesus was an upright moral teacher. It's not far enough as our Muslim uh, people in other parts of the country, as Muslims believe and other people in other world religions believe that Jesus was a prophet. It's not far enough to say that. He is the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8. Read that on your own time, and you'll be able to understand that all authority is given to the Son of Man. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, having all authority, all power, the one whom God the Father is pleased to have everyone worship and honor. The bullseye for Jesus was his crucifixion. The bullseye for you that gives you life is the crucifixion and personal faith in him. You know, Jesus has laid some heavy news on the apostles. He's laid a heavy load upon them. The idea of somebody who's close to you being betrayed is not something to take lightly. And what Jesus has done is he's chosen a high point in his ministry. A high point. This is after the transfiguration. He's been up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Remember, and his appearance completely changed before their very eyes. He comes down off of the mountain and casts out a demon out of a young boy. And the people are marveling, astonished at the majesty of God. And it's this particular time when Jesus uses that high point to lay some heavy news on the disciples. Some news that would have been a curveball to them because the whole idea of a ministry typically you think is to grow it, to develop it. And this is the Messiah that they've devoted their lives to. They didn't yet understand the significance, the importance, the centrality, the bullseye of the cross. And this is the context that they apparently have been thinking about by the time we come to verse 46 in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, because look what happens. It says, after a few days of discussing this heavy news that Jesus laid on them, they began to discuss how they could glorify God with every area of their lives. Isn't that what you would do? Doesn't say that, does it? Verse 46 says, after contemplating this and being cut to the heart, the disciples got together and had a powwow trying to discuss how they could encourage Jesus. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. Huh. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. <laughs> Are you serious? After the transfiguration, at least three of you had inside information. Are you serious? We're in the ninth chapter of Luke's gospel here, and you've already seen the casting out of demons and the healing of the sick and the marvelous signs of Jesus, and you're engaged in an argument as to which of you is the greatest? But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. 
and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. You know, when adults get together and the children are there, usually we want to send them into another room. Children are considered second-class citizens. Wait till you get old enough, then you can make a meaningful contribution to the discussion. Wait till you're old enough, then you can be a meaningful member of society. And what Jesus says is, until you become like a little child, the kind of a person that everyone considers to be second-rate, second-class, you're inferior. You want to be great for God? You want to do great things for God? It's a noble aspiration, provided you want to do it for God. You've got to do, the only way to do great things for God is to do things that God asks you to do. And God does not call you, nor will God ever call you, to seek making a name for yourself. Do not confuse devotion to God with self-promotion. Do not confuse devotion to God with promotion of man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, look with me at these amazing words as we are reminded again that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Nearly 2,000 years have passed, and we have the same type of difficulty that the Apostle Paul was experiencing in his day with the Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. In other words, they were not unified. There were arguments among the Corinthian church. And if you read the books of First and Second Corinthians, you see that although they had every spiritual gift, and although they had a lot of money, and they valued good looks, and they valued Sophia, wisdom, that's what the Greeks prided themselves in, they were the mo- one of the most divided, carnal, worldly, fleshly, unproductive churches the world has ever seen. And one of the things that they were characterized by is division. I appeal to you that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, look at the historical accuracy here, mentioning somebody by name, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, quote, I follow Paul, or quote, I follow Apollos, or quote, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? There's a man, Paul the Apostle, who could have made a name for himself. God ended up making a name for the Apostle Paul because Paul made a name for Jesus. It's amazing how Paul had to rebuke the Corinthians and remind them that it's not a level playing field. It's not Apollos and Paul and Christ. It's Christ with the position of preeminence. It's Christ that Paul and Apollos are pointing people toward. And the Corinthians began to have rivalry among them because they were worshiping and 
promoting and popularizing one apostle over another, one preacher and teacher over another, primarily by carnal means, by the way somebody looked, outward appearance, which is something that God is never interested in. Superior eloquence as a speaker, as a communicator, which is of no interest to God. In fact, the Apostle Paul was such an eloquent speaker that in the book of Acts, there's an instance where he's preaching and a guy falls out of a second story window because he falls asleep. How's that for an engaging, entertaining, smooth speaker? And yet that man was called by God to minister and point people to God. If you're going to hit the bullseye in your life, listen, if you're listening by podcast, if you're a church leader, if you're a pastor, listening by podcast, listen if you're hearing this right now, live, let these words sink into your ears and shape the way you're living. You must remember that God has called you to be devoted to him. Ministry and living for Jesus is about devotion to God, not about promotion of men. You've probably got your favorite pastor, favorite evangelist, favorite, favorite TV person, favorite website you like to go to, and you could get involved in a debate as to who's the better preacher, who's the better communicator, who's the preeminent this, the foremost, that, who's got the number one best-selling book here, the number one best-selling book there, and why this book has been so many weeks on the New York Times best-selling list, and this book's been so many weeks. It goes on and on and on and on, and it's going to go on on and on and on until Jesus Christ returns and helps us realize, hey, now that the smoke is cleared and we're done promoting each other, let's remember who it's really about. Let's remember that it's all about devotion to God, not promotion of man. And in your life and in your ministry, whether you're a pastor, whether you're an elder, whether you're a deacon, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a janitor, whether you have a big popular name, whether you've got somewhere in between being big and popular and being an absolute nobody, or whether you are like a child that everyone else considers second rate and second class, the purpose of your life, the bullseye you should be aiming for is devotion to God, not self-promotion and not the promotion of man. You must remember that. The reason why you have any ministry in the first place is because Jesus died so that you could have it. Jesus died so that you could have a ministry that points other people to Jesus. And the reason why we don't hit the bullseye of pointing people to Jesus is because we begin to get enamored with ourselves. How quickly we impress ourselves. How quickly we begin to promote the modern-day Apollos, the modern-day Paul, and Jesus ends up somewhere in the background as if he died so that we could make names for ourselves. Listen, If you are pointing people to Jesus, you will by default get a reputation, but let that reputation be as a man, woman, boy, or girl who points people to Jesus Christ. That as people point to you, and they will, as people talk about, quote unquote, your ministry, as if it's your ministry, 
and your church as if it's your church. You and only you are the one in the driver's seat, the one responsible, the one who will give an account before God as to whether or not you let it stop there or you help people. Stop the promotion of man and rediscover devotion to God. That's the bullseye. That's what it's all about. Jesus died so that you could live, so that you could live the kind of life that points people to a life of devotion to Jesus Christ. There is no other purpose in your life. God gave you a business to point people to Jesus Christ. That's the truth. God brought you to this church so that you could point people to Jesus Christ. God made me the pastor of this church so that I could point people to Jesus Christ. And there's a very real sense in which, if you're really doing that, you will perpetually and continually feel inadequate to the task, but God's power will help you. God will help you hit the bullseye of people being devoted to Jesus Christ. God will help you be a man, woman, boy, or girl who helps people discover, pursue, and grow in devotion to God rather than promotion of man. You know, by the time we get to verse 49 in Luke chapter 9, we see that the apostles have learned a few things. There's a striking interaction that takes place here with the Apostle John, one of the sons of thunder, James and John, one of the three who was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, a guy who's got insider information about the identity of Jesus, seen some exclusive things about Jesus. Somebody who has opportunity to be taken aside by Jesus, and we'll see throughout the gospel. How, how Jesus takes Peter, James, and John aside, has them see special things that the other apostles don't even see, speaks into their lives. And this is a particular instance where we get a glimpse of how it's sinking in with the apostle John. Verse 49, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. I mean, if he wasn't so much like us, we'd laugh at him. Here's a guy who was a complete abject failure in recent history, completely unable to cast out a demon. One demon from one boy, he's unable to do it. He's a failure. And this guy who doesn't even get named in the record of Scripture is successful at it because he's doing it in the name of Jesus. And John, the son of thunder, inserts foot in mouth. He's got foot and mouth disease. Says, wait a second here. There's a guy who's not one of the inner circle. He certainly isn't one of the 12. You didn't call this guy. In fact, I'm not even going to mention his name. And he's casting out demons. He's actually very successful. And what this helps us understand is something that you and I need to remember with absolute clarity. If you're going to hit the bullseye, you must remember that the bullseye is setting people free in Christ. That's the bullseye. It doesn't matter who's doing it. It only matters that it is happening. This guy was setting people free 
this no-named guy who's acting like the same way Jesus is talking about. He's great because he's like a child. He's not somebody who has a name for himself. He's making a name for Jesus because he is being identified and associated with the name of Jesus because he's using the name of Jesus to cast out demons. And you have to remember that the bullseye is setting people free regardless of who is doing it. Regardless of who is doing it, one of the toughest things to do in a city, to do in a town, is to get pastors of different churches in the same building to pray to the same Jesus to ask him to accomplish the same mission. What in God's name is wrong with us? I hope you are listening by podcast. I hope you share this podcast with every pastor that you know, every church leader that you know, and I hope we take it to heart ourselves. Jesus hits the bullseye when he says in verse 50, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. John had to remember. He had to be taught, had to be told. You and I need to remember, we have to be taught, we have to be told, it's God's kingdom, not yours. It's God's ministry, not yours. It's God's glory, not yours. It is amazing what can be accomplished when you only care that Jesus Christ gets the credit. Why do we have rivalries among us? Why, when a new church is being planted in a city, does the pastor of the church that's being planted oftentimes struggle with seeing the existing church pastors and the existing churches being competitors rather than complementers? Why do the pastors of existing churches Look at the church planter when he comes to their town and see him as a threat and a rival to the ministry that they are accomplishing. See, all of us struggle. All of us forget that we would have no ministry. We would have no church. We would be building no kingdom if it's the kingdom of God unless Jesus died for us. Quote, unquote, your ministry your church is made possible by Jesus Christ. Your spiritual gifts that you have been given were given to you because Jesus died and gave you spiritual gifts. You didn't give yourself those gifts. All you can do is develop the gifts that God gave you and God could take them away like that. You know, this morning, my two boys are getting along wonderfully well, remarkably well, best of buddies, laughing, joking, harassing each other, giggling, teasing each other, best of friends. But there are moments when my two boys seem to be the most severe enemies you could imagine, foes, arch enemy, sibling rivalry. University of Michigan Health System has written some things about helping us understand the causes of sibling rivalry, and I'm not so sure that we can't learn a thing or two today about spiritual sibling rivalry. 
Uh-oh. Did it just get hot in here? Sibling rivalry is caused when each child is competing to define who they are as an individual. Spiritually speaking, you know who you are if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You're a born-again child of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor human decision, but born of God. That's who you are. And if you camp out on your identity in Christ, you won't have any time to compare yourself to somebody else who's in Christ. You know who else you are, spiritually speaking? You're created in the image and likeness of Almighty God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 remind us, if you have a brainwave, if you are a living creature, if you are a human being, you were created in the image and likeness of God. It doesn't get much better than that. Now, Miley Cyrus is struggling with that. And you need to pray for her. She's confused. I'm not so sure that we don't look like Miley Cyrus sometimes either. Confused because we don't understand created in the image of God. That's why sin is so, such foolishness, such folly. I'm created in the image of God. I'm the pinnacle of God's creation. Not to be arrogant about it, but to respond with great humility. And here we are competing with others who are on that same journey, created in the same image and likeness of God, special and important to God. Sibling rivalry, rivalry also caused when children feel that they're getting unequal amounts of your attention and responsiveness. You know, you have God the Father's complete undivided attention because of your relationship to Him through the Son, Jesus. Nobody's getting more of God's attention than you are. He is God by definition. Through the blood of Jesus, you have the undivided, continual, perpetual attention of God the Father. You don't need to compete with somebody else. Allow yourself to function as if somebody else is being advanced in the kingdom work of God more than you are. You can be as involved or as uninvolved as you want to be. Just settle the issue that God is paying attention to you. You have God's attention through your relationship to him with Jesus. Another cause of sibling rivalry, children may feel their relationship with their parents is threatened by the arrival of a new baby. When a new church planner comes into town, we've talked about that briefly. Competition. Somebody comes into town and is setting people free, and it gets us a little bit unnerved. We begin to get jealous because, after all, God promised that he would do things through you. How many of us believe that God has given us a vision, sometimes literally, sometimes a dream? God has spoken to us. I have plans for you, and we get ahead of God as if God only has plans for you. Listen, you're unique among all the other people on the face of the earth. There'll never be another you. Never. There'll never be another you, just like every other person on the planet. Sibling rivalry. 
caused when children who are hungry, bored, or tired are more likely to become frustrated and start fights. You know what? If you find yourself being jealous about another brother or sister in Christ, being jealous about another ministry, another pastor, another church, it's really an indication that you have stopped being busy about what's in the Word of God. There is plenty in this book, the Bible, to keep you busy for a multitude of lifetimes, if not eternity itself. If you will be about your father's business and get to know the Word of God and put it into action, you won't have idle time on your hands to consider somebody else to be a rival with the same kingdom, building up the same kingdom that you are supposed to be building up. After all, is that not what we're supposed to be doing? Building up the same kingdom, the kingdom of God, in the same power, the power of God, for the same glory, the glory of God? Do your part. Sibling rivalry caused by not having time to share together enjoyable family time, like family meals. This can increase the chances of children engaging in conflict. Whose fault is it that you're not getting enough of God's time? Do you not determine how much time you spend with your Heavenly Father? Has God ever said to you, not now, I'm busy? I'm helping pastor so-and-so. I'm helping elder so-and-so. I'm doing a work in the life of this evangelist, this televangelist, this ministry. I'm busier with the church across town than your church. Has God ever told you, not now, I'm busy? Will God ever tell you, not now, I'm busy? You can have as much time with your heavenly Father as you're willing to give him as you're willing to receive. It is a complete fallacy to think that somebody else has more of God's time than you can get. You can spend as much time at any time you choose with your Heavenly Father to get what you need, to get what He needs to show you, and how He needs to transform you. It is at your disposal. You can have as much time with your Heavenly Father as you want. And if you find yourself feeling rivalrous thoughts, feeling jealous thoughts, competitive thoughts toward another person, another ministry— Somebody who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, it might be an indication that you have forgotten. You have forgotten that the purpose of all ministry is to set people free, regardless of who's doing it. It is amazing what can be accomplished when you only care that Jesus Christ gets the credit. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.